Now, as we are going through this series, I always want to make sure that every one of us have a definition of complacent, being complacent or complacency. Here's a definition that we found in the dictionary. It says, a self-satisfied state of negligence or carelessness, especially in one's relationship to its personal situation. You see that on your notes. It should be on your little thing. That's the definition. You should walk away from this series in about five more weeks with understanding what complacency means. Now, uh... The Bible talks about the Lord talking to us about complacency, and it comes from Revelations 3, 19, and that's our memory verse. So if you look up on the screen, we should have our memory verse, and it says, I correct and discipline, that is the Lord, not me. He says, I correct and discipline those who, anybody there? Those who I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. The Lord loves to correct and, 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 and build you up so that you can be diligent and turn from your indifferent ways. That's why complacency is so powerful. That's why every fall we come in with something that's not a standard sermon series, not really exciting to build everybody up. We want to challenge people to break the tide of complacency and the things that are pushing us back away from God. We want to dig into it. Now, in the 60s, there was this pastor, and his name was Benjamin E. Mays, and he writes this, he's a speaker like I am, and Jeremy, and a few other pastors in here, and he writes this little thing about complacency, and here's what it says. The tragedy of life is not often our failures, but rather in our complacency. Not doing our, not, not in doing too much, but rather doing too little. Not living above our ability, but rather living below our capabilities. And if you were here at the church in the park, I did a story about a duck and his friends. And every time I said duck, we did. And every time I said his friends. And we talked about this duck who lands in a barn and stays in the barn for the rest of his life because he gets complacent. And we don't want to be like that. We need to live to our ability and above. That's why the Bible teaches us to look above and seek things of a heavenly place and not focus on hell. Sometimes we come to church and they're focused on hell. And we need to focus above because God will change and and build us when we focus on things of a heavenly nature. So today what I want to do, the title of today's message will be Complacency with God. And if you'd like to slip away and get a cup of coffee and just leave, now is the proper time. Wouldn't look too embarrassing, even though I did call you out. Uh, complacency with God is a very tough topic, and we're going to talk a very, we're going to use a very tough story. There are many people in the Bible that have been complacent with God. Would you guys like to name a few? Anybody? Shout out some names that you might think someone that was complacent with God. Jonah, that was good. We did a series on Jonah. What about in here? Anybody? Is anybody here? That was good. What about here? Lucifer, he's definitely complacent with God. Here's some of the people that I was thinking about. Jonah definitely won. Saul, the king, uh, King Saul, David's the, before David, he got so complacent with God, he loses his kingship. Several kings of Israel lose, are very complacent. All but two are good kings. If you go through the book and read it, they all say these people were, this king was evil in the eyes of God and they did everything against God. That's what a lot of the, the, the chronicles talk about. So many of the kings, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, everybody's pretty much familiar with Ahab, mainly because of a song in the 60s and 70s. That's really why we understand him. 
Uh, Noah's son, Jacob's son, they were all complacent with God. When we look into the New Testament, there's a guy named Demas who was like a church planner, who was like a preacher like I am. And all of a sudden, one Sunday, he walks away and like, there's a bunch of theories. Maybe he hooked up with a girl and he decided to go with her instead of God. And then the great power couple, Ananias and Sapphira who basically love the Lord. They sell their property. They join a community and they want to give, but they decide to be complacent. Like, well, we want to give, but we don't want to give all and we want to hide and we want to lie about it. And we learned that in the book of Acts, which we are doing on Wednesday. The idea here is this, that when we become complacent, it leads us to a place of destruction. Slowly but surely, we march towards a place of destruction in our life. So today we're going to read from the story of John chapter 13. Does anybody know what that story is about? I mean, you got some notes, but who, who, anybody know what that story is about? This is dead. Somebody get some coffee immediately. Washing of Jesus' feet. I'll answer my own questions today. I'll act like you're not here and I'll just deal with my own questions and answers. It's about washing of Jesus' feet. And today we're going to look at this story through the eyes of Judas. A tragic story of betraying Jesus. And some of the things that we get to do as pastors is take a story and change the whole idea of how we should look at it. Today, we're going to just look at it through the eyes of Judas, a person who lived a complacent life with Jesus. But let me give you a little backfill of where we're at before we stand up and read the text today. What's happening in chapter 12 is Jesus has rode in on a donkey six days prior. He's rode in on a donkey and everybody in that day, one of my favorite days to read, everybody's praising Hosanna in the highest and they're laying palm leaves down and everybody's excited worshiping God. They want a different type of king than he is. And, and Jesus goes into the temple. He gets a little bit upset, flips some things around and says, my house is to be a house of prayer and worship. And then he starts speaking. And in that speaking in chapter 12, he starts to tell them at the end of his sermon, he's like, I'm going to have to die. I'm I'm moving and marching to a place of dying and people didn't understand that. And one of the verses that he talks about, it says in, in chapter 12, it says, Jesus says, my light will shine just a little bit longer. So he's giving that image that he is walking right into death. And we know that because most of us know the story about Jesus and at, after all of that happens, there's a moment where people hear thunder and there's, there's this thunderous sound. And some people heard the voice of God, other just heard thunder. And basically God said, and I'm just paraphrasing, Jesus is my glory. It's not really exactly what he says. He says, my glory has been brought to you. But he's basically saying, my glory is before you. And, and, and the voice of God says, and then at the end, right before our text today, it says... In black letters, it says, many people saw and heard Jesus, but didn't believe in who he was. And now we transport to John chapter 13, and it's right before the supper, and that's where we're going to start. So if you can stand, if you want to stand, you can. If you don't, that's, God, that's okay. Just lift your heart correctly to God, and we'll read John chapter 13. We're going to read through 11, and then we're going to pray God speak to us through these texts. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour has, had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during the ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon uh, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew the father, that the Father had given him the authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return from God. So he got up from the table and he took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured it over, poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, Lord, yeah, that's right. You don't understand what I'm going to do, but someday you will. Peter replies, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you will not belong to me. Simon Peter exclaims, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replies, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except his feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew that Jesus knew who had betrayed him. And this is what he meant when he said, not all of you were clean. Will you just bow your heads, invite the Holy Spirit to start speaking to you so that we can hear a message from God. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, I claim this day to you. Do with us as you want. Work in us. Build in us. Break down the walls of complacency with you, Lord, so that we can truly live a life for you. We say these things to the name above all names, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So Jesus is here and he's washing the feet and he he's gives us a great picture. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But today I want to focus on the tragic story of Judas and how his life was complacent with God. How he moved in a way that got him to that place of betrayal and, and the things that happened after the betrayal. When we think of Judas as an individual, our mind only goes to one thing, which is the betrayal and the kiss. Because we hear about it a lot. But some of the things we need to understand is who Judas really was. He was one of the 12 disciples who lived and followed Jesus for three years. He was there the whole time. We think of him as the betrayer, but he was so much more to, to, to the disciples. He witnessed Jesus' ministry. He saw all the great miracles and he saw and heard Jesus' teaching for three years. The greatest teaching of all time upon this earth. He was there. He was the treasurer for the group and used this trusted position to become a thief. Listen, these people trusted him immensely. But he was a thief. How do we know this? The Bible was written in retrospect. They go back and write in the New Testament about things that have happened. And now the writer in the Gospel of John writes in verses 12 that there was a moment where Mary comes and pours this oil over Jesus' head. And it was, a, it was expensive. And Judas is like, what are you doing? We could actually use that for a year to feed the poor. Now, as the writer looks back, they realize that's not really what he was trying to say. In verse 6, I think it'll have it on the screen, verses 12, 6, it says, No, he was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole money for himself. So they knew, even before he was getting betrayed, uh, Jesus knew what was happening. That's the point here. But he was a trusted disciple. He was considered one of the twelve. So here's a, here's a common question. How do we know which Judas is what? Because in the New Testament, there's multiple Judases. Is that right? Judases? Yeah. 
If you're an English teacher, sorry. I'm dyslexic and I don't really focus too much about it. But there were multiple Judases. There was one who was Jesus' half-brother. If you look at Mark chapter 6, verse 3, you will see. There was also one, another disciple that was named Judas. So how do we differentiate and how do we know Judas uh, Iscariot was the right one? Well, his last name was always followed him. And they called Christ betrayer. If you look at two reference verses to differentiate the Judas, it was... John six seventy one and John thirteen thirty six, a verse that we won't get to. They name out Judas Iscariot for who he is as Christ's betrayer, and they usually say the son of Simon Iscariot. That's how they really qualified him. So the point today is we are going to look at a tragic message of who Judas was. We're going to look at this washing uh, story. And many times when we use this story in church, we're trying to push to you to go, hey, go back to the table and sign up to serve. Because that's how Jesus served. He got down and served other Christians. But today we're going to look at the, through the eyes of Judas and see how he became complacent with God and what happened in his life. And there's a message to be taught. In verse 2 it said, It was time for supper and the devil had prompted Judas, son of uh, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus is at the moment of Passover supper. I'm sure... There's still anybody, you know, when we go to Thanksgiving and you're super hungry and you're there at one or two because they said dinner's going to be at one or two, but it takes another hour and a half. I hate that. You don't get this great Zeke by waiting for food. So they're waiting for the supper to be prepared. It's cooking. It's in the oven. It's almost coming. And you could just see some frantic people trying to prepare this great Passover meal. And Jesus decides to, to do a great lesson. The great rabbi gets down and says, before I leave, I'm going to tell them a great sermon. And I'm going to show them what I want them to do uh, in life. And so that's where they're at in the story. And you can see in verse 2, it says that they knew that... Uh, Judas had already been betrayed by Satan. He's already had Satan come upon him and he was ready to betray, uh, betray Jesus. He'd already set up the meeting and the amount that he was going to receive and all of that stuff was being taken care of. And this was to fulfill prophecy. David had a writing in Psalm 41 that was a prophetic uh, verse that was going to move forward. He had a friend who sat at the table with him, and that was Saul. David loved Saul. David loved King Saul, but he writes in Psalm 41, look it. He says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, who shared my bread, has turned against me. But that was talking about Saul, but it was also a, a precursor or a foreshadowing of who Jesus was and how he was going to live his life uh, with Judas. It was, a, it was a foreshadowing of things that were to come. And that's how David wrote, because David was a great prophet. And he understood a lot of things that, that many didn't. He was the great prophet at the time. Even this close friend was going to break bread with me, and at some point he was going to turn his back on me and he was going to betray me. And the truth is... You don't need to show your hands, but many of you have had personal friends do this before, right? Some great people in our life that you grow up with and you share life with at one point betray us. And, you know, that's just how life is sometimes. The point here is this. Judas was complacent with God. As you see as we continue today, you're going to see a great complacent relationship with God that ultimately causes him to die away and separated from the glory of God. So let me make a key point here. Before we go any further, I need to make a key point so that you understand what we're talking about. I don't want to do at the very end and pull the rabbit out of the hat and go, well, this is really cool. I want you to understand what we're really talking about today. Judas 
was complacent with God because he was preoccupied with things other than God. He wasn't in a Christ-focused relationship. He had all these other things that are going on. He wasn't focused on Christ. And, and the Bible says that money was more important to him than anything else. And it held him back from truly having that relationship with God. It consumed him to the point of thievery and ultimate betrayal. That's what we're talking about today. And that's what complacency with God will do. It will slowly change our life to the point where we'll get to the end of the line and we will be completely betrayed. Our Lord and Savior will be completely away from God. And we'll see that at the very end, how that makes sense. So now Jesus gets on his knees and, and he disrobes and he kind of dresses like a servant. And he gets down and he starts washing his disciples, right? One at a time, washed, washed, washed. And he gets to Peter. And Peter's this guy that's like, you know, that one Christian's like, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And let's pick up in verse 8. Jesus says, uh, you know, I need to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash your feet, you will not belong to me. Simon Peter exclaims, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. So we're using this to show you what's going on. Now, the next verse has so much theological meaning, we could do a series just in verse 10. If you go in and you're a theologian and you want to study, if you're like Jeremy and you just like to geek out on theology, uh, did I just call Jeremy a geek? I think I did, so he'll get over it. He's a pretty tough kid, so. But in this verse, there's so much stuff to read. And, and, I, and I, I need to address it because it, it works for our story. But I'm really touching barely anything on this verse. Verse 10, let's read it and, and really look at it maybe in the first time with a new light. It says, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except his feet to be entirely clean. So Jesus is teaching us something here. And then it says, you and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. And then it says something about who Judas is. For Judas knew who would betray him. And that is what it's meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now, in this verse, I'm just going to touch on this very briefly. There's two types of washing here. And if you look at the Greek and you look at the Greek nature of the word, the, the one type of washing is this great grand washing. They call it a, ju uh, a justification and a regeneration washing. That's what the Greek word talks about here. And that is an initial washing of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you're, you're whole and right with God and you are a follower of Jesus. That's this one overall washing. So when he, Jesus is teaching this, he's not talking just about a physical foot washing or a, a bath washing. He's talking about a spiritual washing. And this is a complete washing. And, and in theology, we, we call it being born again, a regeneration of life. Old things being washed away and new things and we're justified by His grace. That's really what the Greek is trying to explain here. It's this once and for all cleansing that never needs to be repeated. And that talks about, can you lose your salvation? And we're not even going to get to that. But this is one of the texts that it talks about. The second type of cleansing is a daily cleansing. Do we need to be daily cleansed? Yes. Hopefully the person next to you doesn't need to be, but hopefully you understand we need to have daily cleansing. It's not just a physical washing, it's a spiritual washing. Well, how do we know that? Where are you coming up with that, Jeff? Well, if you guys know the Lord's Prayer, 
It says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That first part of the prayer is to glorify God. You are almighty. You are all powerful. Your kingdom come. It shall be done. And then it says, Give us this day. And he starts listing out things we need each day. Our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses or our debts, right? That's what he's talking about. Cleanse me so that I'm no longer focused on the things that I've done against you, God. And, and, and move me away from temptation. So he's saying every day we need to do that to keep ourselves completely right and in, in fellowship with God. Anyways, let me give you an example. Me and, me and my family are, are uh, we're really rugged campers. We like camping, but it's got to be in a really big RV. And it's got to have plug-ins. And if we don't have Wi-Fi, we're in trouble. So, I mean, I've... And if you ask Jeff Barnett, he's up here, plays the piano, and he teaches. He came once, and we didn't have Wi-Fi and plug-in, and he left in about three minutes of being with us. So, But here's the story. of if, if, if you're a surfer, if you've been in the beach, if you've ever been camping, you go in, and you're at the beach all day, and, and then you go to that one little pole that's got water up here and water down here, and you shower, and my girls got to get shampoo because the sand might really wreck their hair, and so they wash it, and, and they get all the sand off, but all of our sandals are about seven feet over here, right? So you wash your feet off, you get all the sand off. It takes them about 45 minutes to do this. I don't understand. I think it's, about a, it's supposed to be about a 30-second or less shower, but uh, it's just my family. Um, after we're done, then my, my daughters walk through the mud and then get their sandals back on. And then they go back to the, to the car or this big RV that's like a limousine kind of thing. And then you have to wash off your feet. And it's a second cleaning. You're already washed from the sand, but you're second cleaning. Jesus has given this analogy to show what he needs to do. I need to, I need to move on. The Bible says that Judas was unclean. He wasn't saved. He wasn't in that regeneration mode. He had not been born again and his sins weren't forgiven. Yet Jesus does this amazing thing. He still washes his feet. He treats him like a brother and sister in Christ. He treats him like his best friend, like a disciple that has walked with him for three years and everything is okay. Listen, that's one of the solutions for complacency. If you're not in a good place with God, learn to serve people that have betrayed you, your enemies, people that are around you and serve them like they're just the brother and sister in Christ, even if they're far away from God. That's one of the solutions that we see to complacency. When we are in complacent lives, we tend to look at everyone, believers and unbelievers, with disdain, contentment, resentment. I don't want to go to church. I'm going to go in late and I'm going to leave early because I don't want to talk to anybody. And, and, and if you did that, I'm not telling you. That's between you and God. I'm not saying that intentionally. I'm just saying that's how we have that feeling. We, we come before God and we have this laissez-faire or lazy attitude. We have this mindset that I don't really want to engage. I, I, I'm just here and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here for any reason. I have this unwilling attitude. When we're in contentment, we ha- or when we're in complacency, we have this unwilling attitude. So let me do a little pop quiz. Jeremy's talking about a theological class. I get a chance to teach it every so often. And I love to do pop quizzes. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And I got about 30 seconds, so don't, don't uh, take too long. Here's the question. Where are you at in your walk with Jesus? Here's the pop quiz. Are you faithfully climbing? You're on the mountain and you're faithfully climbing. And, and there might be a few people here. And if you are, praise God. Uh, hopefully I'll get there one day. B is 
you're blindly climbing to a place, but you don't know where you're going. You're, you're in life, you're doing stuff, you don't really know God and where you're directing. You're just going somewhere, but you're active, you're moving, you're not complacent. How about C, you're faithfully at the bottom of the hill, but not moving because you're complacent. You've been in church for years, but you're still the same person that you were day one that you walked in. You're stuck somewhere and you're not willing to move. Or D, you're stuck in life, lacking God and living complacency. Your life sucks. But it's not, it doesn't mean that you really want God. You're just like, I don't know, I'm not going anywhere. And this is the worst place to be. You need, you need a savior, but you're not really doing it. So what I want you to do is take a second, pick one. And at the end of the message, I want you to pray. If you're an A, and, and there might be a couple here, praise God, take somebody with you. Get on that mountain and climb and grab your family or the person next to you and say, let's keep climbing. Let's pull you from C into A. And if you don't know God, but you're willing to do a lot of stuff or you don't have that deep relationship, grab a hold of someone and say, I need help. Connect me with the God uh, 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 that you have so that you, I can have that great relationship. And if you're D, pray for some direction. Write that down, take a mindset, and at the end of the message, we'll pray for that. Let me kind of move on. I got to uh, move ahead so that we're not here at 11.15, so... I got another service we have to do. So from 12 to 20 in this text, I'm going to just kind of paraphrase it in two, two or three words. Jesus is explaining the washing of the feet. So this is all red letter Bible stuff. It's all great stuff about serving and the purpose of serving. And I kind of summed it up. What spoke to me when I read this, it says Jesus, as he's washing his feet and he's explaining why we're to wash our feet, he says, do as I do. Live as I live. Do as I do. This is how you should treat. Don't just serve the poor, but don't forget to treat the disciples and everybody around you, the people that you're working with. Do as I do. And so that's really what he talks about in those eight verses that we're not going to talk about. But it gets to a point where Jesus is, is, is understanding who Judas was. From the very beginning, Jesus, Jesus knew that Judas Iscariot was a betrayer. If you look at John 6, 70, it talks about, when I think we have it up on the screen, it says, Jesus told his disciples, have I not chose the 12? Did Jesus not choose the 12? Yet one of you is the devil. He invited the devil into his family and he knew it. He knew it from the very start. And there was a purpose there. And the purpose, we will see a little bit later, the purpose was so that it could be fulfilled in prophecy. So now we're at the Last Supper and in verse 21 to 30, we're going to kind of see this betrayal and how this all kind of takes place. Jesus predicts his betrayal and he also identifies it in the next text. So now they're breaking bread. He's washed everybody's stinky feet. Hopefully he's washed his hands before he's broken bread. I, I, my mom was uh, worked in the hospital growing up, so I washed my hands like... 58 times because she told me how something spread one day in the hospital. So I'm really neurotic. Thanks, Mom, by the way. I uh, appreciate that. Um, so now they're breaking bread, and here's what it says in verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Right? The disciples looked at each other wondering, whom can it be? The disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting next to him. Who's the disciple who Jesus loved? John? John. Well, maybe second service. Well, good job, guys. Uh, John was sitting next to him, and Simon Peter motioned to him and asked, Who's he talking about? 
So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? You know that in church, people that are wolves come in in sheep's clothing. People that are in church come in and they want to be right, they want to do right, but they come in and they never do the right thing and they're in sheep's clothing. The other disciples had no clue that Judas Iscariot harbored treacherous, dastardly thoughts about Jesus and that he had never been born again or regenerated, as the Greek would say. When Jesus mentioned in verse 22 that there was a betrayer in their midst, they're all going, is it me? Is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray? They had no idea who Judas was. Judas was well-respected. He was the treasurer. Listen, we got a treasurer at this church, and she is the most trusted person that I know. There's about four people in the church that I trust, and I trust her with the money more than anybody. And the church is in great place because of the way she lives. These people thought Judas was that person. We don't have a Judas in our, our midst as a treasurer. We might have him in the thing, but this guy was trusted. He was a powerhouse in the thing. He was the one pulling the purse strings. They respected him. He was a trusted member of the 12. Verse 26, Jesus responds, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus told him, Hurry, do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was the treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for food or give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the life. I'm going to invite the band back up. At this moment in time, you can see there's complacency with God. Listen, I don't know if you guys know the Bible, but from, from 13 to 17, Jesus gives this amazing sermon that lasts forever. And it ends with him praying for uh, himself and God, praying for the disciples and praying for all of us future believers in Jesus. It's a great, great place in the Bible to read. It's a great talk. It talks about the Holy Spirit and how it comes and it's going to guide us and rest us. And we're going to experience that in a few moments. But, I mean, it's great reading. And before all that teaching, the disciple that's not believing in Jesus misses it all. He's gone. He's setting up his ultimate betrayal. Now, we've all betrayed God. The Bible says all of us are sinning and we're falling short. All of us have betrayed God somehow, some way. I was, I was talking to Jeremy about the message this week. And, and we were talking about what to do. And, and we were both talking about betrayal. And my betrayal was so bad, I'm just going to tell Jeremy's story. No, I'm just kidding. There was a moment in my time that I was going to church, maybe like some of you. And it was about 16 years ago. And I was I had been asked to leave my house because of the lifestyle that I was living. Drugs and alcohol. And I was a week out of the house. It was my first Sunday. And I, I, and I was too embarrassed to go on Sunday. I went to a big church of, you know, it was like 10,000 people. And I sat and I'm like, I better go Saturday night because I don't want to go see my family because... I don't want him to see what I look like. I was on meth, and it was like day three, been up. And I go to the Saturday night service, and I can remember today I got goosebumps thinking, what am I doing in church so high? I've been in this church for four years, and a family comes, and during worship, I'm broken. 
And this family comes up to me, this, this cute family, two kids and this beautiful Christian family. And they're like, is this your first time at church? I'm like, no, I've been here for four years. And I got snot dripping. I'm just, my life is just, and I don't even know what they're telling me. And I could just remember how betrayed I thought that I did to God. What am I doing in church higher than a kite? Strung out for three days. I can never forget that feeling. We've all betrayed God, but we have a Savior that can push us into a better place so that we don't have to sit in that complacent place with God. God can change you. If He can change a knucklehead like me, I promise you He can change you as well. The tragic story ends that Jesus sells out Jesus with a kiss. He sells out Jesus. He goes and he says, this is where the Messiah is going to bring. And he takes the guards. And we've heard the story. The kiss comes. And it's the ultimate betrayal. Because that signifies who Jesus really is. The writer of John later remorse. In Matthew they write that the later remorse comes. If you look at the Matthew version of this text. There's a bunch of remorse to Judas. To the point where he doesn't want to take the money. To the point where he's not happy. And this remorse doesn't equal repentance. You may be in here in church and feel pain and remorse of how you've betrayed God and other people. But that doesn't equal repentance. Rather than go to Jesus, and I'm sure, I'm just guessing that Jesus is a gracious person, a man, a God of the universe, to seek amends and ask for forgiveness. What does he do? Like many who have betrayed their family, their country, their, 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 their church, they ultimately kill themselves because they can't handle that internal pain. But if you have that pain, if you put a savior named Jesus in, he can change you and wash you and clean you so that you can live in that life and live through that betrayal and become someone far greater than ever that you can imagine. I put a post up on Friday as I was studying. It says the desire to change must be greater than your desire to stay the same. Judas's desire was to stay the same and be the same old person. Not asking for forgiveness and acceptance and and asking for a savior to come in his life. It wasn't, he didn't have the desire to change. So he stayed the same course and he ends up hanging himself. Crazy, crazy things. Listen, given to the fact of who Judas was and his close proximity, the way that his relationship was with Jesus. It's hard to imagine that he was there for three years but he would end up doing this dastardly betrayal to the Savior. He saw everything. One of us would just want to be there for one day of those three years. Or one hour of those three years. But he saw everything. But it didn't change who he was. He's complacent with God. Judas' story teaches us something. And here's the lesson. We need to guard ourselves against the small, gradual failings in our life. We need to guard ourselves in our heart from these gradual failings that gain strength and power in our life. And they open up doors to more deadly things. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now. I need you to stop so you can reconnect with me, the God of the universe. And that's through Jesus Christ. Appearances can be deceiving. People could come in here and have a faith in in, in church and the fellowship, but not really connect to Jesus. 
You need to put Jesus first in your life to break down the walls of complacency. Matthew 7, 22, listen to this set. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, listen to what this verse says. It says, on the day of judgment, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We have casted out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. And then Jesus replies, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, those who broke the godly laws. It says, get away from me, evil breakers of the law. I don't know who you are. Because you've sat in church, but you've never really repented and come to me. You've never broken that threshold of regeneration and justification. But you've been in church for years. So what can we say? What can we do? The first week we talked about not being lukewarm. He says it's better for you to be far away, cold from God, in the park with your kids, away from Jesus, than in the middle of this church, lukewarm. A cold, refreshing drink that you think you're going to take, and you drink and it's lukewarm, you spit it out. Last week, Jeremy said, then listen intently to what the God of the universe through Jesus Christ and our Holy Spirit is telling you. Listen intently so that you can connect with the God of the universe. Where are you in that pop quiz? Pray that God will heal and change and transform you. Amen? Shake things up. Break down your routine. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about routines and how we can break through some of our complacent routines. Think, shake things up. If you're a runner, walk this week and use it as a prayer time. If you're a walker, run. If you're a reader of the Bible, listen to it audibly, audibly maybe. Change it up. If you need to add God, more God, come Wednesday nights. You saw the video. There's all kinds of crazy stuff, cool stuff happening on Wednesday. If you need a place because you're broken and feel like you've betrayed, on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock we have this group called Restore. And it's a powerful group. Great things are being done. My buddy Trace and a group of people are doing great things in there. Be there. Go there. Come to church more. Will you just bow your heads? Ask God what you need to do to break that complacency of our relationship with you. The Holy Spirit is here right now and it speaks to all of us. You can feel it. It's welcome here and so are you. Lord, speak to us and tell us where we need to be, what we need to do, how we can break the chains of complacency so that we can live a life for you, Father. Lord, if there's someone here that needs that uh, regeneration, that justification through Jesus Christ, that means being born again. If you're here and the, 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 the God of the universe through the Holy Spirit is telling you to accept me, now is the time. Repeat this after me. And I want the whole church to say this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. So that I may have eternal life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit right now, Father. Break the chains of complacency so that I may be with you forever and always.